Well, hello, and thank you for listening uh, to this new study that we started a little while back entitled Inductive Bible Study. And uh, when we started the series, I failed to record the first chapter, so uh, I am recording chapter one here a little bit later, so I'm actually sitting in the sound booth recording this. Uh, The other uh, lessons you'll hear will be actually from the class session, so there may be some pauses and things when asked questions. So I wanted to run through chapter one uh, to make sure anyone that wants to catch up with our study has the opportunity to do so. So uh, as I mentioned, our study for discipleship class that we started a little bit, a little bit back was inductive Bible study, and this is going to be chapter one, the task of Bible interpretation. So I may ask a few questions along the way. I might pause for a minute for you to reflect upon, but there won't be any student participation as I'm the only one uh, here at the church recording this at the time. So the first question I asked as we began this chapter, the task of Bible interpretation, was uh, if someone who had never heard of the Bible asked you what the Bible was, how would you answer? So imagine there's someone that's never even heard of the Bible and you had to explain to them what the Bible is. What would you tell them? Well, Scripture, uh, the Bible is a collection of 66 books with over 40 human authors written over a period of 1,500 years. You might say, of course, to them as well that it is inerrant. That means it's without error. It's infallible, meaning that it will never pass away, and it's inspired by God. Uh, We know God's Word has the power to transform hearts. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore able to speak to us today. Second Peter 1, 20 to 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we also know about God's word that it's sufficient to equip us to do what God's called us to do, to do his work. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it tells us that all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if We see here a couple quotes from the book, Inductive Bible Study. This is a book uh, that that was written uh, to kind of guide our study along that we're following following along with. So there will be a couple quotes from the book as we work through. The first one I want to put in here uh, is uh, from the book is, If the Bible were just any collection of books from antiquity, its study most likely would be the exclusive domain of scholars. Its mysteries researched and unraveled for a select community in the halls of academia. Yet the Bible is anything but exclusive in in reach. Its pages open to all who seek to know the truth in faith. Um, And this quote I put on the screen here is one of my favorites. William Tyndale, knowing just the importance of God's word and knowing that it can reach even uh, the most basic of people. You don't have to be a scholar to gain understanding from the word. William Tyndale said this, If God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. He, of course, speaking this to the Pope uh, when he desired to translate God's word into the common language of the people. 
So I love this quote from the book as well. They say, paradoxically, the Bible is a deep well whose waters lie close to the surface. There is profound irony in the fact that students earn PhDs writing learned tomes on narrow areas of biblical research. For no one person could possibly master all the fields related to the study of Scripture, while a five-year-old can understand the basic message of the gospel and be saved. A plethora of volumes have been published surrounding the study of the Bible, from children's Bibles to scholarly monographs and treaties. The Scriptures have been translated into countless languages and dialects, all to make possible the comprehension of God's Word. Year after year, the Bible and the tools that aid in its study are the best-selling books on the market. People want to dig into that deep well of God's Word, even though they begin at the surface. And so I love that idea that Scripture is so deep and so profound, it's like a deep well that you just keep going deeper and deeper, and you never reach the depths of God's Word as you study. But at the same time, God's Word is accessible. It's at the surface there. And so anybody, even with the most basic Uh, of understanding or even lacking really a basic knowledge of scripture can be impacted and be challenged so the question i asked our uh, group there in our discipleship class before we dove into our study was what are some challenges we face as we seek to read interpret and apply god's word what are some challenges we face that make it difficult to read interpret and apply god's word well We're actually going to be diving into the answer to that question through this study as we look at some various gaps uh, that can somewhat affect our understanding of God's Word. But you can meditate upon that as we begin uh, or continue working through this study. The book also says this, This is the challenge of Bible study. Its particulars are often complex, but never vexing. Its message is simple, but not simplistic. The study of Scripture requires hard work. In fact, it entails a lifelong journey. And yet along that pathway of discovery, you'll find enrichment and growth from day one. God uses His Word uh, wherever you and I may be in our journey of biblical literacy, often in spite of our ignorance and limitations. At the same time, Scripture encourages us to move to maturity in many different realms of spiritual experience, not the least of which involves developing greater skills in handling God's Word. I put this verse on the screen as well, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. So it is a challenge to study God's Word. We can't expect to come and it just be a piece of cake. Um, It is, however... um, accessible even to those of us who maybe haven't studied God's Word for any amount of time. Um, But it does take work to dig in deeper and to understand it. And so this verse challenges us to do our best to study God's Word so that we can rightly understand and rightly handle that. So we're going to talk about a few gaps that can somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say be a hindrance, but these are gaps we need to be mindful of as we come to God's Word so that we can bridge those gaps and therefore bridge our understanding of what, is, what God is seeking to communicate through His Word. So we're going to look at a few of these gaps today uh, in our study. The first one, we would say, are gaps related to history. And there's actually a few subpoints to this. So gaps related to history. The first one is time gap. And the meaning of this is that the events depicted in Scripture occurred in a historical context far removed from the 21st century. So as we come to God's Word, we have to understand this was written a long time ago, over a period of 1,500 years, 
over 2,000 or close to about 2,000 years ago now. Um, and so there's a big time gap. An illustration of this would be just imagine picking up a newspaper from 1940 in London. And of course, if you're familiar with history, you know in 1940, World War II was raging on. And so, of course, in Britain, uh, there was probably a lot of news about that. But one specific um, event in that day and age was the Battle of Britain. And so you might pick up a newspaper from 1940 and you might read some things you're familiar with, Hitler and um, different pieces of uh, history and events that are taking place. Um, but you might see things that you're not aware, well of, or aware of. And so one would be the Battle of Britain. That was something in that day and age that was a big deal for them, but we may not know as many details. And so we have to understand that there's a time gap. Uh, even looking at something that happened less than 100 years ago, that we have to seek to bridge and seek to understand if we're going to understand what was being communicated in that newspaper. And the same is true for us. We have to understand this gap uh, of Scripture to better understand what God is seeking to communicate. Uh, the book says this, If we could step into a time machine and walk alongside Moses, Jeremiah, or Paul, doubtless the pages of Scripture would come alive in a manner beyond our wildest imaginations. While we can't do this literally as we open the pages of Scripture, we are, in fact, invited to walk alongside these figures to step into their shoes and experience the challenges they faced with them with historical imagination and emotional empathy. To make those shoes fit and to bridge the time gap, we must study the multifaceted history of the Bible. So we've got to try to bridge this gap of time. And so I asked, really, throughout these gaps, what are some tools that we could utilize to help bridge uh, these gaps. And so what's a tool that we could help uh, to utilize to help us bridge the time gap? Well, study Bibles might be helpful in giving us some ideas of what was happening historically. Uh, commentaries may be a good uh, source of this, as commentators many times will point out some of those uh, historical facts. And history, diving into just history in general. Maybe it's Josephus, maybe it's others that wrote history in that day and age that we can compare, use as a tool in understanding what was going on when certain books of the Bible were written. Also, another gap related to history is a geographical gap. And the meaning of that is that the events recorded in the Bible took place in lands far removed from that of most Bible students. So uh, we see a lot of difference in ge geography. Some of you maybe that are listening have had the, the privilege of taking a trip to Israel or to uh, maybe foreign lands that are uh, referenced in Scripture. But for most of us, uh, it's a foreign concept, pun intended. So uh, we have to understand there's a geographical gap uh, as we come to Scripture. Um, the, the book says this, The events transpiring in the pages of Scripture take place in a myriad of locations throughout the Middle East, Persia, Egypt, and the Mediterranean. But the primary focus is on the land of Israel. And so some tools we could use to help uh, bridge this geographical gap would be atlases, uh, maps. There's a lot of Bible software available today that help to understand the, the geography of where events in Scripture took place. And if we get the chance to maybe take a trip there and see some of those things firsthand, that could certainly be a tool we could use as well. The next gap related to history is the cultural gap. So this is a little different from 
time gap and geographical gap because there are various cultures uh, in Scripture in a time frame that we have to seek to understand. So the meaning is the cultures reflected in the Bible are drastically different than our own. The book says the cultures reflected in various parts of the Bible are rather different than our own and in danger of misinterpretation due to cultural distance, uh, or sorry, the danger of misinterpretation due to cultural distance is very real. Even when we understand how a particular cultural practice might have functioned in the ancient world, transferring that practice to today presents a whole new set of challenges. So one illustration of this in Scripture might be when you see throughout some of the New Testament epistles, uh, the Apostle Paul referencing uh, greeting one another with a holy kiss. Well, that's a pretty different cultural idea than what most of us may be familiar with. And, of course, in other cultures today, that might be accepted, but typically in our American culture, that's not something we're familiar with. And so we have to try to understand what is the culture uh, that took place then and what does that mean and how can we maybe make some um, illustrations to that today, compare that to maybe some, something in our culture today. So some tools we could utilize to help bridge the cultural gap. Again, study Bibles, commentaries. There is something called a manners and customs book that can help you understand some of the cultural practices in certain periods uh, and in certain areas throughout history. So these are a couple of the gaps related to history and some ways we can help to bridge these gaps. The next set of uh, gaps are gaps related to literature. Okay, Gaps related to literature. The first one is... We could say the language gap. The meaning is the languages of the Bible are far different than English. Um, And so I asked this question, what languages were the Bible written in? Well, if you're familiar with this, you know the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew with small segments in Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Koine Greek or Common Greek. So some tools that could help us bridge the language gap would be, of course, a reliable translation. We very much depend upon good translations of the Bible uh, to understand uh, and to bridge that language gap. Commentaries can sometimes bring out the original languages and the meaning of them. Um, Interlinears help with that, concordances, expository dictionaries. There's lots of tools that help us understand uh, the original languages and how uh, that word can be translated or ideas can be translated into our language. Another gap related to literature is the literary gap. The meaning of this is that there are many genres and subgenres utilized by the biblical authors, and to properly handle the text, we have to learn to navigate the diverse literary genres represented in Scripture. And so I pose this question in the class. What are some various types of literature that we find in Scripture? And most of them, I think, nailed each of these, but some of the various types of literature would be history, see a lot of history in Scripture. You see poetry, right? You think of Proverbs and Psalms and other places in Scripture. Uh, prophecy is major, a major uh, form of literature, type of literature. Letters we see, uh, especially in the New Testament, epistles, letters written to individuals or churches. And then the one that wasn't maybe readily recognized was that of apocalypse, right? Revelation is... Uh, unique in that it's not just apocalyptic literature, but it's actually prophetic and it's a letter as well. So uh, we have to understand before we study a book of the Bible, what kind of genre or even subgenres uh, within that 
uh, are we reading so we can better understand it? We see in the book it says, God could have chosen to reveal a less complex word, but he didn't. And while this presents us with certain challenges, these pale in comparison with the rich benefits conveyed through the variegated literature of the Bible. Just as you shouldn't read an opinion page the same way you read actual news, so different rules apply to the interpretation of law code, historical narrative, prophetic oracle, proverbial wisdom, epistolatory discourse, and apocalyptic vision. So, We've got to understand as we come to God's word that there's a beauty in that God has spoken to us through various forms of literature, through poetry, through history, through all these various means we've talked about. And so we can't just come to scripture and try to understand poetry the same way we would understand historical narrative. It's not going to work. And so understanding the literature Uh, And this literary gap helps us to understand what God is seeking to communicate. So some study tools, as we've already mentioned, study Bibles, commentaries. A lot of times there's an introduction to a book of the Bible that can help you know what genre it is. Um, And so this can help to bridge that literary gap. The next gap is gaps related to theology. Uh, And we see here the meaning the Bible presents supernatural realities and miraculous events, things not normally experienced in the natural world. And I want to read this quote from uh, the book again. The collection of books comprising Holy Scripture is, in fact, the word of God revealed by God to all of humanity as a message from God. It's meant to be applied without the appropriation of its message. The Bible ceases to function as the eternally relevant word of God. So when we come to scripture, it's not just a book like any other book. It's a book written by God meant to reveal who God is, and it's meant to be applied to our life. And so we need to understand this as we come to God's word. And so we see this, these gaps related to theology. The first one, as I mentioned, the supernatural gap, uh, that there's going to be things in scripture that are not normative, uh, not normally experienced, supernatural Uh, The book says, miracles can't be repeated in a test tube, nor should we expect them to be. The very point of a miracle is that God is intervening in human history in a supernatural way that is non-normative and non-recurring. Conversely, others expect that God will act today in exactly the same way as he has done in the past. Okay, So we've got to understand this coming in, that God's not necessarily going to work in the same way today that he may have worked in various parts of Scripture. And so we see supernatural events taking place as God's intervening in history. Some tools to help us uh, bridge this gap. I posed this question. I can't remember if there was uh, really any response, but the truth is really the best tool to bridge the gap of this supernatural gap is simply faith. We have to come to God's Word, and as we see supernatural things taking place, We have to receive it by faith because they're not things we've seen. We trust that God is is real, that he's created everything, and that he has the ability to work outside of um, the way he's typically works or the way the world typically operates. He he can supernaturally intervene in history. And so faith is really the biggest tool uh, to, uh, to overcome this gap. The next gap related to theology is the theological gap. And this means that the Bible is God's self-revelation in his word and must be read with the expectation that it communicates truth to humankind. The book, I I put several quotes in the book because I like the way they explain this theological gap. 
They say it's one thing to expect the miraculous in the Bible, but it's another to read Scripture with an eye trained to discern the self-revelation of God through the history, literature, and theological message of the Bible. It's not that God is merely active in the pages of the Bible. Through Scripture, he is actually revealing to us truths about himself and his relation to creation, whether explicit or implicit, propositional or circumstantial. So God is not just intervening in history for our sake. He's revealing himself to us. His word is meant to give us more understanding of who he is. And so as we're studying scripture, we need to be on the lookout for for what is this teaching us about who God is, about his character, about how he works. The book continues, while you can find nuggets of truth in the smallest portions of text, your study of scripture pays the richest theological dividends when you're able to correlate a given truth throughout scripture from beginning to end. This requires a certain amount of biblical literacy, a mind trained to connect the dots, and of course, time. Reading the Bible theologically is a lifelong pursuit. At the same time, students of the Bible will begin building upon their knowledge of God from the very first day that they open the pages of Scripture. So as we're coming to God's Word, and as we're studying, we're constantly uh, adding knowledge to uh, gaining wisdom as to who God is and what he's revealing about himself. And so as we read scripture and study scripture and we see, you know, for instance, God's faithfulness throughout scripture, it helps us to see different situations in scripture where God proved his faithfulness, where God revealed uh, to people his faithfulness. And so we, we are constantly adding to that knowledge of God. The book says, how do we come to discover God in a book that requires such a breadth of expertise and experience? Again, We return to the premise that the Bible is a deep well whose waters lie close to the surface. A new believer can pick up the Bible, and God will use it mightily. But our knowledge of God, derived from our reading of Scripture, is only partial. At every stage in our spiritual journey, as we study portions of the Bible, like Pilgrim and John Bunyan's famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, we're gradually progressing in our knowledge of God. Even those who devote a lifetime to the study of Scripture will never be able to master God or his word, despite the fact that we, we call a theological degree a master of divinity. Although God reveals himself through scripture, there will always be a gap between the human and the divine. Similar to other gaps we've discussed, we can bridge this theological gap increasingly, but never completely. So this is a lifelong journey of, of discovering who God is, discovering the riches of his nature of his work and so uh i love that again that picture the the water is there at the surface we can understand someone that has no knowledge of god's word can pick it up and god can use it to work in their life but even as someone spends decades diving into the depths of god's word they'll never find the bottom they'll never find the end uh to the point where they say i know everything there is to know about god now so this is what uh, god's word encourages us with I asked the question, what are the challenges in bridging the theological gap? And then I referenced 1 Corinthians 2.14. And I believe I have this on our slide here. 1 Corinthians 2.14-16 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. 
quote from the book, through his word, God convicts the heart of the unbeliever, trains the mind of the believer, and encourages those who are discouraged with words of comfort, peace, and reassurance. So we see here that those who are not in Christ can't fully understand God's word. It is a spiritual book meant to be received by those who have the spirit of God. And so the biggest gap to understanding this is we have to have faith, saving faith to where we have a relationship with God and can understand his word through his spirit. So God works through his word to convict our hearts, convict unbelievers and help those who know him to grow in that knowledge of him. The third gap related to theology is the appropriation gap. This is the last one that we'll look at today. The meaning is that even once we bridge the gaps to interpretation, we still must transfer the message from interpretation to application. This is often a greater challenge than interpretation, but absolutely necessary. The book says, although Christians generally understand that the Bible is a book to be applied, Scripture doesn't always specify exactly how something should be applied or even whether it should be applied at all. Thus, one of the primary challenges facing us today is not correct interpretation, but appropriate application. Even once we bridge historical, cultural, linguistic, and literary gaps in the interpretation of the text, we're still faced with transferring the message from the then and there to the here and now. So God's word is meant to be applied. It's not just a textbook to understand and to uh, gain more knowledge of. We, of course, want to grow in that. But we have to be applying God's word. And so I want you to think through this as I encouraged our class to. How would you apply the following couple verses? Just to think about the gap that may exist here. Two very common verses that people typically know and many times I think misapply. The first one is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many times that verse is just a verse that's plastered on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or it's used at you know, a graduation commencement to say, God's got these great things for you. You're going to have success in life because Jeremiah 29, 11 says it. But as we seek to dive into our understanding of the gaps that take place from when Jeremiah 29, 11 was written, and we're going to get into this more in some of our further studies what we understand is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is not just a blanket statement to be applied uh, as God's got a, a plan. You're going to prosper. You're going to have success here and now. Uh, and so this is a this is part of the uh, importance of trying to bridge this appropriation gap that we're not just applying God's word uh, in a uh, manner that's not fitting. We're trying to apply it in a way. Uh, that he would desire to apply his word to us. Philippians 4.13 is another one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, football players or other sport you know, athletes will use this verse to basically say, I can win the game. I can push through and do all this because uh, I can do anything through him who strengthens me. But again, when we look at the context and we understand some of these gaps, we realize that Paul here, when he wrote this, is talking about contentment and not just doing anything and everything through God's strength. And so I put these out there. Again, we're going to dive into uh, a lot more of this as far as observation, interpretation, application throughout this study. This is just meant to hopefully whet your appetite for that. But I wanted to put these verses out to show you uh, just how 
important it is that we understand some of these gaps, and especially this gap related to appropriation or application. In uh, the book, they also give a couple examples. Um, The book says, Some commandments, exhortations, examples, and instructions in Scripture are directly transferable, while others are historically or theologically constrained and don't apply to us directly. Between these options, many degrees of application are possible, including finding cultural equivalents and drawing principles from the text, both practical and spiritual. But this is a nuanced art that requires not only interpretive skill, but also spiritual seasoning and maturity. So we've got to understand how to apply God's word. And so this study is going to help us to bridge a lot of these gaps or all these gaps so we can understand God's word and apply it properly. Another quote from the book, the Holy Spirit will use God, God's word in the life of a spirit-filled believer in spite of his or her misunderstanding and me, even misinterpretation. Yet as students of the Bible, we always ought to approach the text with reverence and humility, recognizing that we're seeking to interpret and apply the revealed word of God with sinful, finite minds. Hard work and study alone will not bridge the appropriation gap. Only the Spirit of God working effectively in the life of the believer will transfer the message of the text from the mind to the heart. So we've got to keep that in mind, and I I like the way the book puts that. And so with that, the book gives an invitation. I put a couple lines from this uh, on the screen, but I love uh, this invitation to this study. Maybe as we go through this, you're overwhelmed by the gaps that exist, and you feel like, oh, man, there's just too much to overcome. What's the point? Well, this is a good challenge, a good invitation to dive into this study so that you can understand God's word and apply it to your life uh, by his grace. So the book gives this invitation. God is more intent on revealing himself to you than you are to get to know him. Think about that statement. Uh, God is more intent on revealing himself to you than you are to get to know him. And so if that's the case, he's going to give you the power through his spirit to understand his word and understand who he is. For this reason, you can be confident that you can come to know God in and through his word and that you can grow in your understanding of his character and his will for your life. You can also learn to understand your place in the story of God's plan of salvation in history and how you can be part of his mission in this world. While interpreting the Bible may be challenging at times, the rewards are literally out of this world. Not only are we uh, convinced that the Bible can be understood, we can say with confidence that it was meant to be understood. Bridging the gaps mentioned in this chapter requires a certain amount of effort, but by following proper interpretive principles and methodology that applies these principles, practically everyone who desires to understand the Word of God can come to know its meaning and significance for his or her life. The aim of this book is to provide you with the capacity to approach the scriptures with humble confidence and to give you the tools you need for a lifetime of fruitful Bible study. So this is the invitation of the book and the invitation I want to give you that uh, don't be overwhelmed by this chapter as we see these gaps and maybe things you've never thought about as to why it's challenging to read and interpret and understand and apply God's word. Don't be overwhelmed. God wants you to know his word. It's again like that water. It's close to the surface. And if you are a new believer or you've not spent a lot of time studying God's word, this study will be a benefit to you. Uh, It's not going to be over your head. There's going to be some practical things to help you get started 
or to just grow in the early stages of Bible study. But even if you're listening to this and you've been studying God's word for a while, I think there's some tools that are going to be helpful and that are going to encourage you to understand God's word, to apply it to your life, to live it out, and just to know who God is, uh, to know his character, to know his uh, work throughout history and even now. So I encourage you, I'm excited about this study, and I encourage you to, to press ahead, to take some practical tools from this study and apply them uh, to your own personal study so that you can know God and you can live out what his word would teach you. So I thank you for listening and look forward to some more uh, time together in this study.